0: So before we jump into the content itself, uh, it's always helpful to um, know who we are and why are we here talking about uh, human centered innovation and you know how might it give you a strategic advantage. Um, my name is uh, Praptiha and I am, um, as already Georgina mentioned, senior design strategist at Cisco. I specifically am a part of the organization called Cisco Secure, so essentially working with the team to. Uh, think about cybersecurity in a more human way. And it's an interesting challenge to have. Um, And also before before Cisco, I was um, at Ford Motor Company uh, working as an innovation catalyst there, essentially trying to just, again, bring the design mindset and skill sets to to do better innovations and like um, carve more, you know, uh, the roadmaps that are slightly um, looked at from a
1: different perspective. Over to you, Harsh. Thank you so much, Prapti. And thank you, everyone who has joined this session. We are really excited to be here, like Prapti said. So my name is Harshwardhan, and I work at Google for the Google Cloud organization. And uh, I have recently taken up a role as innovation program lead. What that means is that I'm building innovation program inside of Google Cloud to help organizations find uh, different opportunity areas for their problems and also build solutions at the same time based in human-centered insights. So who are we? We are design-led innovators. And when we say design-led innovators, it means that we... Um, base our solutions uh, on human-centered insights, and we utilize design processes or design thinking methodology to come to those solutions and and, and to find those insights. So going on to the next slide. Previously, we have spoken and collaborated with different uh, uh, industries and different companies, uh, different schools, as you see. I'm not going to emphasize uh, that more, but let's go on to the next slide and talk a little bit about about these companies. So what what do you think is common across these different companies? In the chat, you can put your answers in. Um, I'll just spend like five seconds on this one. What do you think is common across all these different companies? Innovation. What else? market cap leaders in the market, longevity, public, all big names. That's right, that's right, Uh, disruptive. Okay, so going on to the next slide. All these different companies, these are big incumbents in their industries in their respective industries. These are using human centered innovation and using design as a strategic advantage. Something that we are going to talk about today. On to the next slide but what do we mean when we say human centered innovation now specifically what do we mean by the word innovation let's let's let, let's get that clear after your prabhti
0: um the thing that you see on your screen is, first and foremost, innovation is not invention. At times, we do think about, and when we think about innovation, we think about, hey, we have to come up with something entirely new that has not been done in the past. That is not true. Um, and let's, let's dissect these two terms a little bit more. So when we talk about invention, it essentially means creation of a product, process, or service for the very first time. And the picture that you see on your screen is of the Anya computer, the first computer ever built, Um, the black and white picture that you see. uh, Amazing invention, right? Like the first time like kind of disrupted um, mankind in some ways how we work. On the other hand, innovation is an idea that improves the value of a product, process, and service. There is the emphasis on the word value here, because there might be an invention already out there, but just like approaching it from how might we improve the value to the people who are using it makes it an innovation. And that's why innovation doesn't need to be an entirely new thing. Um, So basically, you see here, like, years of inventions and innovation, led that huge, massive computer that you see on the top to a sleek tablet that we have in our hands these days, and even like smartphones that we use. Uh, And that's how like, you know, slowly we move from invention to innovation and like it goes hand in hand at times too. let's let's talk about why why we talk about innovation these days so much this is this has kind of at times become as a buzzword too where it kind of loses its value its like really meaning and that's like really important for us to set our uh, you know um, our thoughts around what we mean uh, when we say innovation and also why we need innovation and why are we talking about it. So the graph that you see on your screen uh, was created by Patrick Whitney. He is um, he's currently at Howard uh, um, TH uh, Chan School of Public Health. And, and he created this graph and on the y-axis you see knowledge and X is time. And there is a line that says industrial revolution. And what it means like before industrial revolution hit, People, when we, when I, I'm a person and I need something. Either I would make it for myself. I was so close to the product, or I knew someone or a craftsperson person whom I would go to to help me make that product, or he would make he or she would make that for me. So that at that point, I was really close to what I wanted and what I was getting, uh, and it was a really like close relationship. When industrial revolution hit, and that's where the graph really takes off on on the top. Uh, there was like standardization and mass production and everything was being produced in the factories. And that was a point when really the, what are we making was away from, you know, what people really wanted. And that's, you see on the bottom of the graph, which is what to make. So how to make is around like how to make money and how to make a product itself, like the feasibility part of it, the technology part of it. And what to make is what people really want. And and the things that we we can make, is it really serving to those needs? And in due course of time, as we as we are moving, um, oh, hold on, sorry. Uh, so we do see an innovation gap that has developed, and that's the gap that we are talking about here, and, and and that's why everyone keeps talking about innovation because we need to fill that gap to really be successful in the real sense. Um, to make it more lively and like, let me give you and like walk you through an example, and instead a story actually. Um, so the picture that you see on the screen, does something seem to be off or out of place in that picture? Feel free to like add your comments in the chat, uh, chat box. Uh, is something off? What do you see?
1: What do you notice? The tablet, the kid's computer, I'm seeing all the answers coming up.
0: Right, perfect. Yep yes that exactly is the um, what uh, what is off and let me tell you the story behind this and why are we even talking about this so this laptop uh, came out of sorry go ahead harsh
1: oh, no i sorry i should have been on mute somebody saying uh, rodrigo is saying should be an ipad well <laughs> i love that answer
0: okay so yeah let's let's so why, why this story and why this picture here? Um, so this this uh, initiative, the laptop that you see in the kid's hand on lap, is essentially was was the initiative called one laptop per child, uh, and that initiative came out of MIT Media Lab. Amazing, amazing product. And let me tell you a little bit about that product itself, the laptop. Uh, it was uh, it costed just hundred US dollars, uh, really cheap for a laptop it needed really less amount of electricity so that the, you can the, the kid could literally charge it using his or her hands uh, as you do it with some toys and also it was really rugged and and, and strong so like it, it didn't need to be just like limited to the school premises you can like bring it outside and even if you you know it, it it falls down it's it's fine so it's rugged it can be used by the kids um, but imagine what happened to this initiative It failed miserably, and that's really interesting. Um, any guesses of why that would have happened if this was such a great product, um you know, no electricity required, essentially, rugged and everything. why Why do you think this might have failed? any any guesses?
1: So we are seeing answers uh, in the chat, lack of internet, no electricity. Well, there was no electricity required in the first place um lack of training don't need a laptop they don't know how to use it lack of need what problem solving is there was not making money a huge leap of faith from needing basic necessities to high tech well uh i'll let Prap the answer yeah. that we yeah we're we are getting, getting, getting close to life.
0: close to the real reason okay so um What ended up happening is the families of these kids started selling these laptops for money. Uh, And it was a hundred USD was at times the family income for families like this. And this was the context that was hundred percent missed when uh, we were coming up with this great product. So again, going back to the idea of innovation gap, they knew how to make a great product, but missed the whole point of what to make in this context um, and you know it just shows like how bringing these two together is where successful innovation happens. Um, so we have been talking about innovation gap, um, now let's also talk about how might we address it if there is a gap and if you're not thinking about it, what are some of the ways that we can do that. So design thinking, as you see on this uh, on the screen itself, is a way to bring uh, what to make and how to make closer. And design thinking is just one way and one term that's used out in the industry pretty often. And that's why we're using it, uh, for example, there might be different ways, or you might not want to use the word design thinking at all. That's totally fine too, but it's whole, the, the whole methodology of like thinking from a design perspective. What it helps do is it helps reduce the gap between um, those two um, lines that you were seeing and bring it closer for a successful innovation. Um, again, you, you might have been seeing there are three circles floating around throughout this time and while I was bringing this chart on the screen, uh, any, any, um, any guesses of what that model or framework might be you might have used in the past or any guesses?
1: you can put your answers in the chat double diamond foundation design value features desirability feasibility value that's right okay right. yes point, that's Jamie.
0: right <laughs> i'll without uh, uh, spending more time so exactly this is a desirability viability and feasibility framework and this is an innovation framework of like where actual innovation happens or like successful innovation happens and one thing that design thinking or design really emphasizes on is start from desirability, start from the human aspect of it, of what do people really value, then move to viability and feasibility, whereas, like, should we make this? Will it make us money? And then like feasibility is like, can we make this? That can go hand in hand, but like really if you miss the point of desirability that, that, that really affects the whole uh, success rate of the innovation that we are working on. And the innovation happens at the intersection of these three circles that you, that you see on your screen. Um, so I've been using this word design, also design thinking multiple times. Let's let's decode what design really means so that we are all Creole are on, on the same page. Over to you, Harsh.
1: Thank you, Prabti. So off to the next slide, please. So let's talk about the term design, right? So when we say design, what actually most of the time comes to, comes to mind are products. Uh, for those who are in a digital design industry, they, they might think of user experience design on screens, Uh, UI designs, in manufacturing, you might be thinking of cars, the aesthetics part of it. But here, what we actually are trying to say is the design process, what properly referred to as uh, working from a design perspective. And sometimes interchangeably in this presentation, we we would use the word design and design thinking. So when we say design, we're talking about design process. So what is the design process? So if you uh, look up the word design thinking on Google, you will find so many different types of um, processes pop up. You might have already seen some of these, double diamond, somebody said in chat, um, some hexagons, uh, some infinity loops. All these are different ways of talking about design thinking, but it, all, all of them mean the same thing. It, they differ, refer to the same process. But before diving into what is design thinking, let's again talk about what design thinking is not. So going on to the next slide. Design thinking is not one specific model. Something that I was trying to say in the last slide, it might be represented in different graphical forms. It is not just one model. One of the most popular model is the hexagons um, um, popularized by one of the biggest design uh, consultancies, but it's not just that it's not writing on post-it notes. It's not uh, It's not about, you know, like doing some one single ideation session on the, on the wall with beautiful different colored post-it notes. Going on to the next slide. It's, and it's not rocket science. It's not something that is can, that can only be, be used by designers or, or, um, people who are coming from that background, it can be learned and used by anybody. So with that, let's talk about what is it then? It is the human-centered approach for creative problem solving. And uh, one thing that we would like to add, it is a collaborative approach. It is designing for the people with the people and when we say with the people we have highlighted that part of it it means not only the end users but also the stakeholders of of the of the system so uh, it is a collaborative approach where you work in teams it is a collaborative approach where you uh, work uh, work with the end users you try to you know understand them you try to validate your your products with them so let's let's try to understand it in a very simple uh, way that we have broken it down in. So this is a human, right? We have been talking about human centeredness. So let's keep the human at the center and see how do we start. So we have to first start by understanding the human. And when we say understand the human, it's not about asking them, hey, what do you want? It's about asking them that question and understanding in their answer, what is the specific things, what uh, that they value what are their values what how are they driven by what are the values that they are driven by the next step is th- then you get to a solution it's not a solution first approach it is understanding the problem first understanding the values first understanding the pain point first then only use that to ideate a solution and the third step is test with them you have a solution it might work it might not work but it is always a good idea to go back and test with the users whom you talk to or a new set of users and see if the design is working or not. And whatever the results that you get out of it, do it again. It's an iterative process. It's, it doesn't end. It's not a linear process that starts and end at different places. It's an iterative process until and unless you're satisfied in um, uh, with your design solution and, Uh, you are getting good results from your testing. So that's design thinking in a very simple uh, breakdown diagram. Moving on to the next slide. So we have a story for you. We have a story how we uh, apply design thinking in one particular context. This is a story uh, of a project that Propti worked on. So I'll let Propti speak.
0: Yep, absolutely. So look, let's look at the stories because like story because story is the best form to remember stuff. And um, basically the goal uh, that we have here is that um, the story would, would help us kind of show or give an example of how human-centered design helps us come with non-obvious outcomes. And what you mean by non-obvious outcome is like when, when a design brief comes to you or when a, you know, um, a client asks, come to you, what is like, oh, let's do this, 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 how we tend to go to a solution. And if you d- use a different kind of process, how that solution or final outcome might, might be so different than something one would have imagined early on in the project and how that, that process gives you strategic advantage from a business perspective, um, so the story that we'll be sharing today is uh, uh, about Italy, Chicago. Um, the industry is retail. Um, Italy is a huge, huge marketplace. Uh, it has multiple locations in the US, um, three or four. Not not a lot. It's still like is an exquisite uh, experience. It it is a marketplace it has multiple italian restaurants it has a bakery uh, it also has a cooking school so you can just imagine how packed uh, the italy is with like different kinds of experiences the ask that we got from the client was to help them redesign the store to improve the customer experience so that we could so that they could bring the customers back to the store more frequently and the specific problem one of the problems that they were facing was italy Is and was already very successful, but there was like the people who were coming to the store during the weekdays was really less as compared to the people who used to visit the store during the weekends. So the the staff at Italy was overwhelmed during the weekend, but really was like, you know, overstaffed for the uh, weekday amount of footfall that the store was having what seems like an obvious solution in this case, again, uh, because it's like designing the experience and it's a store. So if we might go about, think about like interior redesign of the store, or maybe let's brand redesign or like how the store looks from outside to track more customer, the layout of the store itself, uh, to think about some of the, you know, um, uh, the ways to bring customers back more often and also like some of our solutions were uh, around those but i would highlight the one that was major and like you know use the process to come up with something that was really unexpected uh, so how did we approach this, this this ask we started rather than going to the solution and some ideas that we or the team might already have we started with going from a very unbiased view and started observing the users. And there are multiple ways that design or design thinking gives you methods that you can use to do those things, immerse and understand from the users. One technique that we used is called shadowing, basically where you just go and you're just like walking with the shopper, not asking any question, just shadowing how, how they make the purchase, what things they buy, what they put again back on the shelf, when they're confused, you know, like just observing those things. Second method that we used was interviewing our stakeholders. So stakeholders was the shoppers, of course, the but also the manager of the store, the staff that uh, was working at the store and really understanding the things that they had already observed and also the, the, the pain points or challenges that the customers or the shoppers were facing and the, and the staff and the managers. The third and important uh, stage and, and, and approach that Harsh already emphasized on is we collaborated with our stakeholders. So the primary stakeholders, the. the the pictures that you see are the managers uh, from the store and we co-designed the solution with them. So the screen, uh, the top picture that you see on this uh, screen with like a lot of pictures, there was all the pictures that we took during the observation, the shadowing process that we did, the, the questions that we asked. And then we put it all there with, with the insights or learnings that we had from all that research. And then we collaborated with them to like share what we learned and, and their experiences and also how might we really solve for those problems. Um, one of the learnings, the biggest learning that we had was like Italy was seen as a premium and expensive experience. And it, there is an emphasis on the word experience because this was not seen as a store or a, a you know, a, a, that you'll go to get bread or or milk. But the interesting fact was that Italy had those things that wasn't necessarily overpriced. It was the same price that you would get it at another, you know, Kroger's or Meyers or whatever you have you know, or like other grocery stores where you go for a neighborhood Um, So what was happening was Italy wasn't fitting into the mental model of customers regular grocery shopping from the customer perspective, but the people at Italy, the managers and staff, they thought like, hey, we have everything, people can come in and shop, and we also like we have the Italian, um, you know, specialties too, but we also have stuff that that a regular grocery stores would, would, would have. So, what we're getting to was like there was a huge value mismatch, the value that the customer was seeing of Italy as a place, uh, and the value that Italy folks saw they were providing to the customers. Um, so uh, one of one one of the non obvious solutions that we came up with was uh, was grab and go meals. The, the 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 sketch that you see on the left bottom was one of the initial ideas. You know when you brainstorm ideas, that was that that uh, that that's from that um, session. And the picture that you see Italy Pronto was the final thing that was implemented at Italy. So basically, the grab and go meals was a meal service where people can just hop into the store, grab a healthy prepared meal for lunch and and go and, and just like, you know, go to the office or wherever where, where they are headed. And why this worked really well from a business model perspective was also Italy where it was placed was like around the offices. So it was in the downtown and there were a lot of offices around. Uh, so people really like, you know, they hopped in for coffee or in the next store, and they would go and grab a, a meal or like during lunch hours too, that, that really worked well. The other thing was that uh, because Italy already had a cooking school and, and the restaurants too, there were chefs who were not necessarily, uh, you know, um, from a resourcing perspective, there were a lot of chefs uh, and who could cook, but because there were not enough footfall during the daytime and the weekdays. Uh, this was a good way to use their time and like really use that resource uh, for for some revenue generation. And also like bringing people back into the store, even just for like a five minute or 10 minute, but like helps you uh, with the business part of it. Um, So now if we compare the ask to what the final uh, one of the outcomes were, it won't like if you if we would have used the regular, you know, the thoughts and ideas that we initially might have, this would have not come up. So like redesigning the customer experience, the ask and like non-obvious is a meal service for healthy healthy meals for, for the folks. Um, now let's also like, I talked a little bit about the business but let's now like see deeply how the, this human centered approach connects to the business uh, part whenever we are coming up with a solution. Hush, um, yeah, over to you.
1: Yep, let's go. And I'll, I'll kind of breeze through it. I don't want to uh, run out of time. But yeah, this is this is a very uh, common and very used uh, framework by Roger Martin. Uh, he describes in the book, Plate to Wind, uh, which was co-written by Roger Martin and um, A.G. Lafley. So this is called strategic choice cascade. And if you have used it, uh, you will see there are two important aspects uh, of this this framework which is highlighted in yellow uh, which is around where we where will we play and how will we win now this is usually done in uh, the business context this is this is used in business context to build strategies inform strategies future strategies and we use a lot of marketing research however what the point that we are trying to make here is that you can also use design thinking methodologies to To inform these things, you can use design thinking methodologies, or I saw somebody typing in the chat uh, contextual uh, contextual design or contextual research, you can use that to inform where do you want to compete, which is basically where we will play in terms of geographies, product categories, what product that you're going to come up with. So in in case of Eatly, they, they came up with a service, which was grab and go meal. Uh, there, you, can, you can look at the consumer segments. So they were targeting the people who are busy, who are going to office every morning. They are coming in for a coffee. Now they could grab a meal. Uh, what channels, vertical stages of production, et cetera. The other one is how will we win? Which is the unique, What what is unique about your service that, that is gonna make you win? And I did see in question, somebody said, how did you go from a premium experience to a grab-and-go meal, which is a great question. Now if you think about it, they all people already trusted Eatly for good quality and premium products. So if, when we put it in, in the form of grab, grab-and-go meals, that the premiumness, the, the, the trust that they had was their competitive advantage. So that, that's how you can, you can see how design thinking is already part of the strategic choice cascade. We'll, we'll show one more, uh, one or two more frameworks. So this this is disruptive strategy, or innovator solutions by one of the biggest innovators that we have seen, Clayton Christensen. And if you if you have not seen the framework, we are not showing the framework here. But if you have or have not seen the framework, you might have heard this. Uh, this terminology, which is used often in business called jobs to be done, whenever you're trying to build a new business, a new strategy, people talk about, okay, what is the job to be done here in the, in the context of the customer? So what is, how, do you, how do you figure out what the job to be done is? You could do it with things like contextual design or design thinking, design process. You can, you can go to the customer and understand them, understand what do they value to understand what is the job to be done. And in the case of Italy, it was help me eat fresh and healthy food during my busy schedule. Going on to the next. Uh, Again, you might have seen this business model canvas. You might already be using this. Two big things that business model... So so before I go there, business model canvas is used to... uh, build new business models, build new business model for startups, companies, reinvent business models. And also some people use it to break down and understand what the business models are of different companies. Two big things that, that we want to highlight here. Can you go to the next one, Prapti? Next slide. Yep. So two, two things that we do here is lay down the value proposition of the company. So what is the company? And um, sorry, what is the company doing? And then, the who part is basically the consumer relationships, um, customer segments, channels, everything that we also talked about in one of the other frameworks. So, which constitutes of why. So, design thinking methodology can help us truly understand who our customers are and what what is what is their what are their pain points, what do they value. So, this is how we connect it with the business where it is not being done. Um, and this is how we you know bring design thinking methodologies in d- different business frameworks going on to the next slide i'll give it i'll, I'll give it off to you prabhti
0: sure so um Story that we shared and and the content that we have shared till now. If that sounds interesting, uh, and if you're already been, you might be already engaged with that kind of work. But if you're still curious about where can you learn more, some recommendation and suggestions that we have is if you if you are a reader, if you read books, uh, either audio or uh, any kind of book. Um, these are some of the books that has really helped us. Uh, First, the top left is like the design of everyday things. That's more design focus book, but really helps you understand what really we mean when we say design and how it helps people and ends up like creating a great business if you're trying to do one. Um, there few, uh, the other one uh, 101 design methods that's like a dictionary for design so it has like pack, it is packed with methods that you might be able to use uh, and like you know you can go to it when you are in a certain part of the process and say like hey what are the methods that I can use to understand my users better So that is that kind of book Change by design and the design of business really helps understand the connection between design and business uh, um, by by Tim Brown and Roger Martin and on the top right, 10 types of innovation. It's an interesting read because it just helped you think about innovation from like different ways that you can approach innovation from. So it has like 10 10 ways that you can, you know, uh, differentiate your product. And then like, if you nail six of those, it is high chances that it's going to succeed. So if you're interested, you can read more about that. And communicating the new is again, an integral part of it, because this book talks about how, if you're trying to bring a new idea into an organization, how that, how might you do it in the best way? Because there might be some resistance or there might, you know, communication plays an important part of it. So it's not just one-sided in communication, but you are like communicating uh, with, um, you know, you're really being heard in your organization to make it successful. Uh, moving on. Uh, so like the final two, two things like, you know, uh, we shared a lot, but if we would like, if two things that you could take with you and like that is the biggest value from what we wanted to share today, one is uh, fall in love with the problem and not the solution. So whichever uh, situation you are in, what really try to find what the real problem is, what's, what? why are we trying to do it and not necessarily latch on to one of the ideas that we might have. The second one is always start with people. And those people are your end users, are the the stakeholders, you know, um, all the people that you're working with. So like starting with people and really understanding them. And these two things would really take you a long way when it comes to like applying the design mindset or the process in the projects that innovation projects that you're trying to, trying to bring in your workplace. And I'll let um, Georgina talk about
2: the next session that's coming up. Yes, thank you both. That was fantastic. I love the way that you walked us through those examples and those principles. Uh, Next time, uh, you can join us for a product chat coming up. We are going to be talking about the art of product pricing. Uh, So we are going to be talking um, with Jan, who's the head of pricing at Zoom, about what companies are getting wrong um, and, of course, how you can avoid them. Uh, So now um, we have the great good fortune of getting to ask a couple questions to our wonderful guests today. Uh, So there are a couple questions in the Q&A box already, uh, but if you would like to ask a question, now is your time to pop some new ones in there. All right. So, first question for both of you um, is a big one. I'm just going to get. I'm just going to dive right into it because I know it's one that everybody is thinking about. Um, can you share some methods, narratives, tools, and approaches that you would suggest folks use to get their senior um, leaders and their executive teams to really start transforming their thought process to be more focused on human centered design?
1: Absolutely. And I, I can take it, Prati, and then you can add uh, your thoughts. So, this is a great question. Um, and it really, uh, I'm glad that you asked about senior executives uh, because the approach is very different, whom you are talking to in the company. Uh, in my current role, I get to talk with a lot of uh, clients and customers where we talk with the C suite and the senior leaders. Um, trying to break down their problems and one thing that that has really resonated with them is that we spend a lot of time listening we I mean, and this is a basic human tendency we love to talk about us and our problems so if you use the same thing we do a lot of interviews that resonates with them and but, but that's not all. You cannot just listen and, and excite them. You have to go back and tell them that, hey, these are the things that we listen. Does it, does it make sense to you? Does, does, that, uh, does that resonate with what you were trying to say? And, and do that collaboratively. Um, help them build, build the problems that, oh, sorry, help them, help them frame the problems that you're going to solve. That's the first step for sure, to get them excited Uh, to get uh, to make them feel that they have been listened to, and that you understand their problems. Now this, in my case, we do this externally. If you are an internal, um, if you are, if you are talking about your senior leaderships in your uh, company, then the other, then then it's like bottoms up, then you have to go with some results. So what we have done in past in, in such situations that we run a small pilot in our teams to to uh, use the process to solve certain problem and go we go to our senior leadership and show them the results that came out of it. So that's another way that that we um, talk about it. So Prabty, if you have to add anything, um, I,
0: I think you captured it. Let's let's move on to uh, the other questions.
2: Perfect. Right. Uh, there is. Um, there's a couple of questions in here about applying these principles to other industries. Someone has mentioned healthcare. Uh, there's also a question about, you know, Italy is a B2C example, but what about B2B? Um, do you have any best practices that you can share about really kind of extending these practices, regardless of what kind of industry or, or user base you're working with?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, I have some experience working with healthcare too. So I was engaged in a project with uh, uh, the University of uh, Illinois uh, and they have a healthcare delivery design team. And essentially what it was doing was not necessarily we were working with the patients directly because in healthcare, there, there are a lot of restrictions that you like, you cannot like access like, even if your end users are the patients, you cannot directly go and talk to them because it's it's a sensitive area and like there are a lot of uh, uh, things that needs, needs to be um, uh, kept um, secret. So uh, what we were doing in that case was like trying to create that um, experience better of like the patient doctor engagement and what are the challenges that they were having. So we were essentially just talking to people internal to the organization. So the staffs, the, the doctors, the nurses and other, other people who make that, you know. Know, um that hospital or that healthcare area um that w- who work with them so we really work and essentially i would talk um the methods that we use are the same so like observation that i that i talked about in italy we were observing um The interactions of the patients and the doctors, but what we were, what the shift that was there was like we were using videos. So the recordings that we had without audio, because you cannot have those, we were observing the the you know their body language, what was not helping, how how could we make the experience better? Example of like how if there is a computer that the doctors takes uh, notes in as the patient is talking, how might we increase improve that experience because the patient might not feel comfortable as someone is like taking notes and that doesn't feel like. The person is listening but they are listening so like we propose like having an ipad where they can like together look at what the person is filling out and the patient so that's just an example so you basically the methods remain the same i'll also give you another example of my current role which is in heavily b2b or entirely b2b um is uh, one of the security products that we provide to um to the big companies um so they are like a security product for example like if um I'll just use my previous employer, or like if a if a big like Ford wants to secure their, you know, as we are all remote now and we are using our computers and and devices from different locations, how how might we make it more secure because we are not on premises. So essentially the customer there for us are the IT people, the IT admin people who are deploying that software or or, or the product that we are providing. And there we are looking at the experience or the challenges that they might have while they're deploying it. So again, using the same methods of understanding their end-to-end journey. So like really end-to-end journey is a huge part of thinking from a design perspective because it's not just one part of a product that you're involved in. The customer or the end user is using end-to-end. So how might we see that? So that's there. We are enabling the IT person so that they can provide a great experience to the to the people who are using the security service in their company. So, so you, know, you see, this is like B2B. So I would wrap it up. I would say the methods don't change. It's like you just have to identify who your user or the end customer is in your case and then like work with them uh, around that. So by user or end customer, it's not always B2C. Um, it can 100 percent be B2B.
2: Really helpful. Hirsch, do you want to add to that?
1: I I would just say I'm in a B2B uh, organization as well. And what Propti said completely sums it up.
2: Awesome. There's a couple of questions here that are a little bit more tactical, and then we'll range back up to uh, some of the uh, higher level uh, philosophy uh, and approach questions as well. Uh, we've got some folks that are curious about um, how do you pick the right framework that's most suitable for the initiative that you are working on.
1: So when you when you talk about frameworks, um, there are so many, right? And there's a quote. Frameworks are like toothbrushes. Everybody lo- wants to use their own, and nobody wants to use others. So pick the framework that suits your audience, that suits your uh, situation. Uh, sometimes, for example, the one that we shared, which was the breakdown of design thinking, that's our framework. We use that understanding of design thinking to do this uh, to do uh, the projects. Um, the other thing is. If you like, if even even if it is a business framework or a design thinking frame framework, a lot of things are defined by the situation. Like I said, like your own, your own context. So sometimes you might have to go go for a sprint exercise, which is a two weeks uh, exercise framework or or a one week exercise framework. Sometimes you you have a three months uh, uh, three months project that you're working on. In that case, you can go for a deep a framework that provides you a very deep dive, um, you know, tools and methodologies. You, you can use a couple of different research methods like surveys, interviews, contextual inquiries, etc. The thing here to remember is that the core concept remains the same. It's about listening to people, observing them, understanding their values Coming, what up with solutions and then testing them. That's the core uh, core goal of it all. Praty, would you like to add anything? Yeah, I'll
0: just quickly add one thing. Is um, also framework changes based on context, and I believe like Hush already touched on that. So, for example, if I'm in a situation where we have some ideas and like or use cases, whatever we want to call them, and then we have to prioritize some of those and how do we do that uh, and and project managers do that product managers do that a lot and other people in the company too is like we have some metrics but like how design thinking or like design led innovation changes it is are all those metrics the right one are they also capturing the the customer experience the the human part of it or the values that or is it just lopsided towards business and feasibility so like that's what you do and what what my go-to practice is like if I have to use a prioritization thing I'll just go google or like I have a few books like one-on-one design methods and all those and I'll look for the thing that would make sense in that context in that project sense and also like I would also encourage folks to not use a framework as it is at times like if you feel like one part of the framework is not making sense to you just get rid of that part and like like make it something your own or like what your organization uses so i feel like framework is like how you flex it and once you use it once or twice you know what would work best for you Uh, and also like i i think one other thing which is really helpful is what has worked in your organization so just learning from your peers who have used some of those frameworks and then like working together is something else that has also worked with uh, for me so again i I guess and i none of us like talked about her framework or D framework, because that doesn't exist in, I think, in, in both of our um, thoughts.
2: Awesome. Uh, a question that I... I think you might also have uh, varying answers to is which colleagues do you bring with you uh, when you go to meet or shadow um, the clients, the, the humans having a problem. Um, so Sebastian has asked about who do you bring with you to observe those people? Um, or is it better for that to be a smaller number? I can imagine having a crowd of eight professionals over my shoulder while I'm trying to use a product might be a little uncomfortable as a, as a user. So how do you approach that?
0: I, I can take that and feel free to add. Um, so in so I've done it in the physical world when everything was open and we could like really, at, when, when the product was like, go to the customers and observe them, the example that you saw um, previously. So in that case, it's really important to restrict the number of people. We mostly used to do like, two people at max because like otherwise like the person would be like the behaviors would change that you're trying to observe so in that case like and again like you observe or when you do observe or shadow someone it's not just one session there are multiple sessions different times because so that you can capture different you know types of things that you might miss so like in this case like weekends weekdays morning evening and all those kind of stuff so in that case um as the goal is to be collaborative, you have to bring the people who would like the engineers or the people who would actually make that product, whoever are the feasibility people, the business folks also like, because the team is like, try to bring each part of the team or the expertise that you need for a product to be successful to be in that experience. So that's in the physical world. In the in the virtual world or like remote world, it is slightly, I would say, easier at times because like there's some research platforms where you can like, for example, I made a quick MVP or a prototype of like, there's a sunscreen or something like that. And, and that's something I'm sharing with the customer. Let's say like we, I'm doing that. That's just other other part of the design process. And the customer is just giving me feedback around, like I would do this, I would do that. I don't know what that is. And on those platforms like that you can have observers so the the participant cannot see the observers they that participant would just see me and maybe just one more note taker so there's just two person who are interfacing that the user but there can be like I don't know how much, but like we, I have had like 15 to 20 observers uh, in the behind who can really listen to what the users are saying. And that, that is also a time when you can, if your leadership is really open, you can bring some of your leadership into those sessions and say like, hey, would you like to listen to what the users are saying to some of the ideas that we might have? And I've used that in the past in my previous job where the VP was like sitting and just observing that session. And that gives them really like, you know, makes them feel closer to the product, which is essentially not always that they can do or like they have the bandwidth and flexibility to do that. So, yeah, yeah.
2: and is there an approach that you take if it's uh it's sensitive to observe the person so someone's asking here if your users are making payroll or financial decisions or you know you mentioned medical background um what are some some kind of workarounds that you have for those kind of situations
1: yeah so i i can talk about the medical uh situation uh situation in the medical institutions. So we, so the project that Prapti uh, talked about, I was part of that as well. So we, we, we did not have access directly to the patients. So one thing, uh, there were a couple of things that we could do. So um, we interviewed the nurses, we interviewed the caregivers. Um, with permission of the patients, we uh, placed cameras where we could record them. Um, Those are the different way way of observations that we we could use uh, when we were not in the room. Uh, We also had some exercise that we had asked uh, our caregivers and nurses that we had access to, to complete, um, in order to help us understand the whole scenario and situations. Uh, And this is true in many industries. You might not have access to the end users, but you'll have to figure out uh, figure out workarounds and in, in where you can get those observations from. Um, the next best, best thing is find a person with the access to the end user uh, and then do a thorough inquiry, thorough uh, interview with them.
0: Right. Um, And also, uh, at times, rather than just asking direct questions, like, for example, finances or something else that you might not like, you having an idea or say like, hey, we are thinking about something like this. So create something, create and rather than just asking them, like there are two ways to research. One is just going open ended and having a set of questions and asking people is like, how are you doing it? Show me this. So like that's one approach. And it's more applicable to areas where a non-sensitive information. The other is. Because there is enough, you can have a lot of research that can be done desk on the desktop. So that's secondary research. So you can do that, that's already available out there. And we might not have uh, touched on that um, um, as much as we wanted to, but essentially that part of research is also important because there is a lot of research that was done with the people that's being documented online. So essentially that's also very close to people. So use all those research and in medical and all those things we used to use, read a lot of research papers that was done. So use those things and create a point of view or some ideas or whatever your organization wants to call it. And then share that with the end users so that they don't feel like they are sharing their information, they're giving you just thoughts around what they would use or what they would wrong if you're trying to make the payroll system better or let's let's like whatever kind of example so that doesn't put them on spot around sharing their information so that's the approach i would i would suggest
2: really helpful oh go ahead hirsch no i was just uh, saying yes oh okay yes, that's right <laughs> Um, so I so there's someone here who's looking for a piece of advice, uh, and hopefully you guys will have um, some good guidance to offer them because it looks like they've gotten the, they they're in a situation where uh, they are meeting some resistance um, to research. They're meeting some resistance to being customer centric. So um, they said, I have witnessed a a dynamic where internally proposed solutions are not founded in customer centric research. uh, And that is being empowered by the famous Ford quote, an example of quote, if we listened to customers we would have to build faster horses, right? So it seems like that quote is maybe being used um, to prevent innovation rather than create it in this scenario. So um, have you experienced this? How do you navigate those types of decisions with stakeholders?
1: This is, uh, the situation is not very unique. Um, I can chime in and say that this this is a similar situation when you're looking for a buy-in. Now in this case, there is some resistance. So. Going in with some results, if you could pilot it at a smaller scale and go in with some results, you could uh, help them see the value. That's one. The other thing is that that quote, it's right. It's, it's not wrong. If you if you would have asked people in 1900s, what, what would you like us to make? They would say better horseshoes so that they can run faster or faster horses, whatever that quote is. But... Uh, that's where that's where the word g- comes in. The value. What do people value? People don't value faster horses. It's the speed that they value. I think that's the point you have to make in order to make your uh, you know leaders understand the value of this process. And um, the way that I see is that run a smaller pilot. Run a small pilot. Do a do a side project. Um, go in with some results uh, because, you know, these organizations are uh, result-driven. Prati, would you like to add anything to that?
0: Um, uh, Quickly, I know we are almost at time. Uh, One thing that I I think really helps is really um, understanding uh, what are the metrics that the organization uses, like the business metrics for saying yes or no to a project or an idea take those metrics and then like create, like add to some things that you see are missing. And then for those things, like, again, like adding to, like you need to have a pilot or a small thing where you do that and then like expand that metric and say like, I'm not changing everything entirely. I'm just saying like, hey, we are looking from these four lenses. This is a fifth lens that we need to add to it. One that can be a metric, that can be something else and and show how it changes the value. And if you can have some examples and to Hush's point, like some, like, low stake projects, take it that, you know, it doesn't like change everything or it's like huge um, a financial, um, you know, um, kind of a role to it, like, so that you can like flex with it and change it and like show that. So like examples are the best way. And also like, Including people, so getting buy-in internally is also like including as many people as you can. So you don't necessarily need to get to the leadership directly, but let's say a person in HR is really um, has has a lot of connections, or like the person is connected to a lot of departments how might we engage that person in a project that you're working with them to get them excited so they can talk about it. So like creating, um, I don't know, there's a word for it, like, but creating people who can vouch for you when you are not in the room is also a great way to approach it. And the book that I I shared, uh, like we shared, which is like communicating the new is entirely about this, is entirely about getting the buy-in, and how might we do, how might we communicate about new ideas, or bringing new ways of working, um, and really, you know, making it successful in our organization, so feel free to, like, share, read those, and, like, there would be some good stuff in there.
1: I would, I would uh, just, it came to me just now, one of my friends who was working in a very B2B uh, platform to sell large equipment, large um, industrial equipments. Those who are from uh, from Asia Pacific might know this name. It's called industrybuying.com or something like that. He implemented these solutions and and, um, used human-centered design without even using the name. Uh, He piloted it he did that to solve problems, first smaller problems, and then larger uh, inputs into the business, but he didn't even talk about it. So maybe there might be some resistance where people are not fond of the word, the terminology, uh, because that happens as well. People people might have, might feel threatened by, uh, by the fact that they might have to learn something new. So. You could also start by solving smaller problems for your stakeholders, internal folks, and then show them the results.
2: Fantastic. I think that that is a spot uh, for us to wrap up for the day. This has been absolutely fantastic. Um, I've really enjoyed this conversation. um, For folks that are on the line, if you're a product professional um, and you want to learn more about this, you can check out our design course uh, to really learn how to partner with designers uh, to create more human-centered products. And if you are a designer, uh, you can explore Pragmatic's new course uh, called The Business of Strategy and Design and that will really help you learn how to better communicate the value of your user-centered work um, and really strengthen those relationships within, um, with, your, with your business stakeholders. Uh, you can also uh, go follow Hirsch and Propti on LinkedIn. Um, I plan to go do so immediately. Uh, I'm so excited to continue learning alongside you guys. This was an outstanding session. Thank you so much for your time and your experience.